Anybody notice the theme in our songs this morning? How many of you know that obedience song, the O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E from maybe Sunday school 100 years ago? Okay, that was Nan, so it was only 80 years ago, but... Profound, profound truth. Was that new to anybody? Is there anybody that had never... You're kidding me! And you call yourselves Baptists? Yeah, I'm surprised that many of you hadn't heard that. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, good. We introduced you to a good song then. Because obedience is pretty important. Pretty important. Now, usually when I when I begin my messages, I, I'd like to review just briefly from the week before just to kind of reestablish where we're at in this. And, and a lot of times it's just to, to give you time to get your Bible open and get your mind processes moving and that. But today it's, it's really a vital part of the message because you, you, you got to see the sequence of what's happening here. We're, we're getting towards the end of Nehemiah. The next four weeks, um, we're going to, I'm, I'm going to be, the sermons are going to be kind of divided in two. The first half of the sermon is going to be the people's action. And the second half of my sermon is going to be Nehemiah's reaction as, as the leader that God has placed in charge over the people. As I look back and, and just look and, and review quickly, pay, pay attention to the review because it's important that to, to, to it's important to your understanding of today's message. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth and that we can depend on it, that we can stand firm in it. We thank you that it's truth, it's real. And Father, just how much. Um, as we just soak ourselves in your word. We will never be perfect here on this earth, but help us to be more and more obedient to your words. That is where the joy of the Christian faith comes in, and walking with you, fellowshipping with you, is submitting to you and being obedient to you. And so, Father, as we look into to your word today, open our eyes, um, Convict our hearts and and change our hearts, Father. Um, We don't want to be the same next week as we are today. We want to be different. We want to be closer to you. We want to be more obedient to your words. We give this time to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 12. We um, looked at the last several verses last week. Um, we remember that we had just come through the dedication of the wall. We had the two choirs, one that went in the opposite direction. In verse 40 of chapter 12, the two choirs took their stand in the house of God. So as they walked around the, the city, they sang, we believe, possibly Psalm 24. There might be some other psalms that they sang, which, which there's one choir would sing and the other would have a response. And then this the other choir on the other wall would respond and the other... It was a back and forth, but it was all worship and praise to God for what he had done in building that wall. That wall that, that uh, Tobiah was so sure a fox could jump on and knock over. Had two choirs walking on it and stood just fine, thank you. But as we come around, they, they come to the temple. And in, in verse 44, it says, On that day, remember the difference in Hebrew here? 
And verse 44, on that day, actually referred to the day of the dedication on the wall. But verse 1 of chapter 13, where it says on that day, the structure of the Hebrew indicates that that's a really bad translation for that first verse of chapter 13, because a lot of time had gone by, weeks, months, maybe even years, who knows, maybe. But it was a long time. It wasn't the same day as the dedication on the wall. We talked about that just to, just to clarify that and help us get the, the time frame. But in verse 44 of chapter 12, the, the men were appointed over chambers for the stores, the contributions. If we look back in chapter 10, okay, the last verse of chapter 9. Now because of this, do we remember the, we, we talked about the Declaration of Independence and what those men laid on the line? Their lives, their fortunes, their, their honors, their sacred honor. Okay, they put it on the line. Here we have 84 of the Israelites signing this declaration. In verse 29 of chapter 10, it says, They made themselves, they took on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. A little further down in that verse, to keep and to observe all the commandments of the, of God our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. In other words, we we are going to be obedient to your word, God. We are going to follow your word. We, we are signing this document. We are going to stand firm. And then at the end of verse 10, or excuse me, chapter 10 there, verses 32 to 39, it talks about how they are going to supply and meet the needs through the temple tax, the wood supply, through the first fruits, and through the... And after all that, then you get to the tithe. Okay? And they said, we are going to... We are committing ourselves to this. We are going to support this. We're dedicated to it. So we get to verse... Uh, chapter 12, verse 44. And there, there are men that are appointed responsibilities to make sure that those offerings and tithes and first fruits are properly stored and properly used for God's house, for the support of the Levites and the priests. Those men were found faithful. Verse 45, they performed the worship of their God in the service of purification, together with the singers, the gatekeepers, in accordance with the command of David and his son Solomon. We're going we're gonna to follow up with some of that. Uh, and then the, the last part of verse 47. So they set apart and consecrated portion for the Levites, and the Levites set apart the consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron. All priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. And so they said, God, we're going to do this. We're going to obey your word. We're going to obey your commandments. We're going to follow your statutes. And in here, we've taken steps to ensure that's going to happen. We've, we've set up men to, to control and, and watch over and take care of and properly store what comes in. Chapter 13. Last week, we went over the first three verses. And, and I'm not going to read on that day. It's some time later, weeks, months they read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of people, and there was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. And that's found in Deuteronomy 23.3. 3. 
No Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water, but they hired Balaam to curse them. However, God turned that curse into a blessing. And so what did they do? When they read in the word of God here, what did they do? So it came about that when they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. They obeyed. They did what is said. They were obedient to God's word. And what was so vitally important to their nation. Several times we've read through Nehemiah where the, 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 the wall was a separation to keep the world out and, and to keep a safe place where the law of God could be uh, lived and enforced. And how a couple different times they've excluded the foreigners. And here they've done it again. The, the word has been read and they're going to obey it. Now remember this as we is that that that's the review from last week. Remember it as we look at, at today's scriptures. Nehemiah chapter thirteen verses four through nine. Now prior to this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him. They were formally put where they formally put the grain offerings, the incense, the utensils, the tithe of grain, wine and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers, and the contribution of the priest. What in the world? Verse 6, But during all this time I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had gone to the king, and after some time, however, I asked leave for the king. He went back to Babylon. That was the agreement when Artaxerxes signed him documents at the beginning of Nehemiah to get, to get wood from the forest keepers and, and safe passage through. Then at some point, Nehemiah was going to come back to Babylon. And he went back at some point. And, then, and that's why in verse 1 there where it says, on that day, it, it's such, a, such an unknown exactly what kind of time went past. But he went to Babylon, and, and then he says, Oh, king, can I go back to Jerusalem? And he's headed back to Jerusalem at the end of verse 6. and verse 7, he says, I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it was very displeasing to me. So I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Then I gave an order, and they cleansed the rooms, and I returned there the utensils of God, excuse me, the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. What takes place here is going to affect next week's sermon. The sin that you do does not just affect you. The sin that you commit affects others around you. It changes things. It, it, it screws them up. It gets them out of alignment with God's word in, in the way that they're supposed to be. Let's go back to verse 4 and work our way through. Prior to this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God. Okay, he had a skill set. Zagnio Tenari. That's one of those word scrambles you find in the newspaper and you got to unscramble it to give your word. I didn't remember a whole lot from high school, but my English teacher in high school taught us that and for some reason it's stuck. 
One of the few things that did, but it stuck. If you unscramble Zagniel Tanari, it means it spells organization. This dude had a gift, and so he was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God. If you look back at chapter 3, when, there, when, when it gives the list of who built the section in front of their house or who built this gate, um, you'll find Eliashib's name a few times. He was actively involved. He, he and some of the Levites built the part right by the temple, rebuilt the wall in the sheep's gate. He wasn't an unknown character. In, in verse uh, chapter t- uh, 12, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5 or 6 times, and into chapter 13 now, his name is mentioned. And if you look at chapter 13, verse 28, at just the, almost the very end of the book, it's, it's listed that he is the high priest. But he's got a problem. He's got a relative. <laughs> Any of us got relatives? <laughs> he's got a relative that through the whole book of Nehemiah is subverting the will of God for the people in Jerusalem. Chapter 4. Yep, chapter 4, verse 3. He's the one. He's the one that said, "Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, it would. He would break down the stone wall." Him and his buddy uh, Sam Ballot, constantly, constantly causing problems. Verse uh, chapter six, if you would look at, and, and, and it's so sad. Because it follows right after verses 15 and 16, which I get so excited about, and I love those two verses. Because it said the wall was finished, and the people around them, the nations around them, saw what God did. They lost their confidence because they saw what God did. In the very next verse, Tobias added, when, the, when there's victory, when God is working, Satan's going to double down and work even harder. Not harder than God, but he's going to work harder than he has been working. Also in those days, many letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and that's why we don't have a whole lot of good for the nobles of Jerusalem. Tobiah's letters came to them, for many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehoiahan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Barak. Berkaya. A couple of weeks ago, we went back and we looked at 1 Chronicles 24. And if you look at verse 11, you see Eliashib's name there. He, he had the documentation. He was not excluded as a priest. Down, down through the ages, his family kept the proper documentation so he would not be excluded from the priesthood. But if you go one verse before that, Verse 11 talks about Shechaniah. He also was a Levite. He was a priest. Remember when they divided the the groups of priests into 24? Into 24 groups so that they each worked about two two weeks out of the year and then the rest of the year they'd go back and, and work their fields and provide for their families. Shechaniah. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Back in chapter 6, I lost my place. Many in Judah, um, the son-in-law Shechaniah, the son of Aaron, his son. Okay, so Tobiah married Shechaniah's daughter. How many times since we've been in the book of Nehemiah have we studied where God said, Be separate. We've looked at the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6. What fellowship has darkness with lightness? Believers are not to marry unbelievers. Believers are not to be in fellowship. doesn't mean you can't be friends. There's a difference between friendship and fellowship. But they should not be in friendship or fellowship with non-believers. They shouldn't be in business with them. They have different goals. You have different purposes, different motivations. There's a reason for that. And right here, by marriage, the Jews disobeyed. They did not obey the law of God. They went directly opposite what he said. He said, don't intermarry. And we talked about this over the last month too. It has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with faith in God or no faith in God. Young lady, I worked TC back in the day. She said that she'd grown up Presbyterian, but she'd married a Catholic guy, and, and she decided that she would convert to Catholicism just so that there wouldn't be conflict in the family. Wrong answer. Shouldn't be that way. So I used to say to my kids growing up, survey says, eh. wrong answer. It's not right. Because it directly is in opposition to God's word. Through the whole book. Through the whole book. And and here is proof of it in chapter 6. Verse 17, 18, and 19. Those letters went back and forth. And those, those nobles, and those including Eliashib, that, that had direct access to Nehemiah, they're whispering and they're telling everything back to Tobiah. Everything that, that Nehemiah says. And then Tobiah sent letters to frighten him, to frighten Nehemiah, trying to scare him off. I, I don't know why God allowed Eliashib to become the high priest. Other than to to, to emphasize and for us to understand and learn that you can go to church your whole life and be a hypocrite. Here was the high priest, the high priest in the land. And the whole time he's subverting God's will. Just because your parents were saved. And faithful in the church doesn't mean you will. Doesn't mean your kids will be. Don't assume that. Don't take it for granted. You step away from God's Word, off the cliff you go. Man. Back to chapter 13, verse 4 and 5. Eliashib, verse 5, had prepared a large room for him 
where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, the the tithes of grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites. I don't get it. But then again, God doesn't get it when I sin either. Why in the world would the high priest clear out items that were used for the worship of God so that he could put an Ammonite in the house of God to live there, to be in the chambers? What in the world is going on? Putting Tobiah in the house of God is like putting a possum in the hen house on purpose. Stupid. Unless you're trying to get rid of all your chickens. The high priest removes the item of worship from this room in the house of God and moves somebody that has absolutely no right to be there. He moves them in. What? Are you kidding me? Sure, God uses the same expression when he looks at me and says, What are you doing? Why are you doing that? So Nehemiah is gone, and now he comes back into town. As a good leader should, he comes in and he immediately assesses the situation. We don't know exactly how long he was gone. Could have been a year or two. Look at me. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. <laughs> Each week I'm preparing my sermons and I said, some, some Sunday I'm going to shock them right off of their pews and be done by five till. I really thought this was the week. Sorry, guys. Philippians chapter 2. So then, my beloved Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, Not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence. We talk about character. What is character? How how you act when nobody's watching or when you think nobody's watching. God's always watching, just so you get that straight and don't forget that. Do you obey? Okay, here, here's an interesting thing. When the pastor goes on vacation, what happens to church attendance? Yeah, why? It makes no sense. It's like that church in California that Beth and I, when we were out there, we were looking for a church, and we visited about 16 churches before we found our home church. But... One of the churches, the pastor died the year before. They'd been 175, 200 people. The pastor died. 
What, what, what would most normal churches do? You call a new pastor. The church went down to about 20 people. Instead of calling a new pastor, they just left. It's like, what? That don't make no sense. Why would you do that? Call a new man of God. Keep the work going. Why, why, why do you act differently when a man is there or not there? Shouldn't make one iota of difference how we live. Philippians 2.12 So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. It's not your pastor that's at work in you. It's not your pastor that should convince you to live one way or another. The way we live is for God. Not for a man. It is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. No, he wasn't writing to us. He was, but at the time he was writing directly to the Philippians. But people that say that God's word is not appropriate for today's world don't know what they're talking about. among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. If Paul was writing to us today, would he say the same thing to us that he said about the Philippian church? That not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence. They remained obedient. They remained faithful. They remained true to the work of God because their work wasn't about Paul. Their work was about God. It was for his glory, for his honor. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Nehemiah comes back and he says, oh my, what in the world is going on? He says, for I have come to Jerusalem and and learned about the evil that Elias should be. He, You know, there's those that want to call good bad and bad good. Mm Mm-mm, not Nehemiah. He calls bad, bad, and good, good. Sin is sin. And he says, he learned about the evil that Eliashib, he didn't sugarcoat it, that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. Remember, I told you to to remember, as we did the review of last week, how important that was going to be to the sermon today. Oh my goodness, how many times, over and over again, did they say, and they signed the the, the, the declaration. They said, well, we'll make an oath. We swear that we are going to obey God's word. We are going to provide for the house of God. We are not going to allow our kids to intermarry with people that aren't saved. Right here. Hmm. That's what Tobiah is all about. And if you look at verse 28 in chapter uh, 13, you see how uh, Eliashib was also related to Samballat through marriage. Marriages that should have never taken place because they weren't in accordance with God's word. They were not in accordance with God's principles. 
So it had no right, no place to be named. When we're done with Nehemiah, I'm seriously considering going into Corinthians. It's, I'm, I'm fighting between Acts and 1 Corinthians. But the church in Corinthians had sin in it that wouldn't even be named among the world. Why do we do that? There was sin taking place there that even disgusted the world. And it was taking place in the church. Ought not to be. But Nehemiah saw what Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it was very displeasing to me. If it was displeasing to Nehemiah, you know how displeasing it was to our Heavenly Father. Guess what he did? So I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Did he gather a committee to see to figure out what we need to do? Did he have to sit down and pray about it? No. Uh, God, what should I do? Should I allow this disobedience to go on or no? He didn't even have to think about it. Remember what we talk about practicing with the fire extinguishers? Or if the men come in with the gun? He didn't even think about it. He knew what to do. And he immediately did it. He didn't wait for a cooling off period. He didn't wait until the sun was shining better or the rain was coming down so more people wouldn't be around when he did it. He saw the evil and he responded. I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I love verse 9. Then I gave an order and they cleansed the room. He didn't even want the smell of Tobiah in there. Fumigate it. I got the junk out. Now you guys come in and clean the smell out of here. And after they fumigated it, they cleansed it. I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. He rightly restored what should have never been taken out in the first place. Eliashib and his family cooperated with his family rather than contending for the faith. The whole time of the book of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls, Nehemiah made sure that Tobiah never even made it within the walls of the city. And he goes away and The high priest puts him right in the house of God. Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Nehemiah determined that he would not allow wrong in a place that was built for right. He was not concerned about votes in the next gubernatorial race. He didn't establish his committee and he didn't need to pray about it. Right is right, and wrong is wrong. As a a leader, Nehemiah was decisive and took action to clean out the mess that was there. He wasn't going to allow it to sit and fester. This is just the beginning. we got three more weeks of this. Obedience to God 
is a sign that we love God. If we don't obey him, we don't love him. We love ourselves more than we love him. We must obey him. We must follow the principles of his word. It's not an option. It's not like, oh, if I feel like it. Oh, if I feel good today or I'm in the right mood. Eh, wrong answer. Obedience is a sign that we love God. Father, thank you for your word. As Paul said so many times in Romans 7, that which I shouldn't do, I do, and that which I would do, I don't. It's a struggle, Father. You knew it would be, so you gave us your word to encourage us. You showed us how patient you were with your children Israel. Oh God, thank you for that patience in our lives. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, for never leaving and forsaking us. Help us to live for you, Father, not to live for a man or a woman or a family member. You must come before family, Father. Go with us through this week that we would walk in obedience, that we would show our love to you through obedience. The world knows that they, they see our faith through our love for one another. Father, you see it in our obedience to you. Help us to stand firm this week. Help us to not back down. Again, Father, just briefly want to pray for Dick. Whatever point he might be in the surgery or if he's waiting to go in or if he's in recovery, Father, touch his body and heal it. Give him peace and rest. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget the opportunity.